You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is Welcome on the in, phone. Everybody, episode five sixty-two of the podcast. Oh, yeah. America, the Outdoor Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, July twenty-seventh. 2022 people i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody's having a great day and i hope everybody's ready for a little bit of a different kind of episode of the Aaron Torres sports podcast let me explain why if you were asking me if you were if we were just doing kind of a bullet point what are the most important stories that i could talk about on this show today well big 10 media day started on tuesday and there were two kind of interesting quotes that came out of it gene smith the ohio state ad who basically runs the Big Ten. We'll get to that a little bit later. But Big uh, Gene Smith essentially hinted that we are eventually going to get to a 16-team college football playoff. And then later, the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, said that he is not opposed to adding schools if they add value to the Big Ten, basically insinuating that if Notre Dame ever says yes, there are going to be other schools joining the Big Ten. And so the plan was to lead with those two topics. But at the end of the day, here's the bottom line. I think everybody's a little worn out on college football playoff expansion, on realignment, on me complaining about NIL. Those seem to be the three topics that we have talked about in some form or fashion literally every episode since college basketball ended in the middle of uh, late, early April into the middle of April. It just feels like we've talked about that way too much. I actually put out a Twitter poll. I said, do you guys want another segment on this? Because I'll do it if you want. And at last check, 64%, essentially two out of every three people said, Torres, we are tired. We are tired. It's like the old uh, the, the phrase from the, the Green Mile. Remember the Green Mile? I'm tired, boss. I think America is tired of talking about realignment, uh, college football playoff expansion. And so this is what I want to do on today's show. We're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. Even though we are like literally less than a month from college football week zero, um, what we're going to do is actually, there's a couple of basketball topics that I want to get to because I think they're different and I think they're interesting. One, did you see Bill Self got pulled off the road in recruiting earlier this month? Well, really over the last couple weeks. That to me says something very interesting about Kansas, what is going on with that NCAA investigation, and maybe our buddy, Dollar Bill Self, the hammer might be coming down on Kansas, so we'll discuss a little bit about that. Uh, Kentucky picks up a commitment from five-star Justin Edwards. This is big. I told you it was coming. And then we will wrap the show with a little bit of a mailbag where I actually will talk a little bit about some of those Gene Smith comments, and then we'll get to some other stuff. Uh, I am accused of only being ni- only saying nice things about people that come on this show. I don't think it's true. Somebody asked me about a college basketball stock market. Who are you buying? Who are you selling? So we will end the show with a mailbag. It has been far too long, but we are staying away from expansion, and we are staying away from realignment, and we are staying away from the college football playoff at least for today's show, at least till the end in the mailbag. One quick announcement before we get to the actual topic of the day, which is obviously Kansas. Fun interview on Friday. I think I mentioned it, but on Friday, Showtime has a documentary coming out on New York City point guards. Uh, If you watch First Take, Mark Jackson was on First Take earlier this week. A couple other guys have been all over the media. Mark Jackson, Stephon Marbury, Kenny Anderson 
Well, Rafer Alston is joining the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast here in a couple days. Uh, it's a really fun interview I did with Rafer Alston. He is kind of a really interesting character, was part of that and one mixtape uh, tour, played for Jerry Tarkanian at Fresno State. Really fun interview with Rafer Alston. Skip to my Lou later in the week. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll just say this, right, is uh, it is that time of year. College football is coming really, really, really fast. And normally I wouldn't necessarily lead a show with college basketball on a day like today. But there is a story that is so big, and it doesn't feel big on the surface, but it really is kind of pretty big. It is so big and so important that I would be remiss if I did not discuss it on today's show to lead the show. And it has to do with our old buddy Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks. No big deal. Pick Kansas to win the national championship in the preseason last year. How about my Jayhawks? Caw, caw, caw. But, but anyway, this story comes from, it's a report via Matt Norlander, CBS Sports. Matt did a great job on this story, credit to him. And the story basically came, that came out was that over the last couple weeks, in what has quickly become the most important time in the recruiting calendar, June into July into late July, Kansas University, KU, the Jayhawks, Fog Allen, the school has decided to pull Bill Self and his lead assistant off of the recruiting trail, and they did not allow them to recruit over the last couple weeks. Now, on some levels, that seems trivial. How important could it be? But it's actually really important, and here is why. Kansas is still in the midst of this years-long NCAA investigation stemming from stuff from the FBI trials that really started in 2017, 2018. And for the most part, Kansas has basically blatantly kind of stuck their thumbs and their nose up at the NCAA and basically said, we're not helping you at all. We didn't do anything wrong. We're not taking responsibility, whatever. The fact that Kansas pulled Bill Self and Curtis Townsend off of the road over the last couple weeks, it means one thing and one thing only to me. It means that they think the NCAA is about to drop the hammer on them, that they are about to get in trouble. And look, I get the idea that the NCAA has changed a lot over the last couple years, and I get that rules are a lot different now than they were even three, four, five years ago. But Kansas did, in fact, break major NCAA rules according to the letter of the law when the rules were in place back in 2017, 2018. And I believe that they could be in line for some real, real, real problems with the NCAA over the next couple weeks, next couple years, really. Now, what I would say, listen, I don't want to get too much into what Kansas is accused of. We've, we've, we've hit on it a million times, but it's worth noting a few things. One, um, what Kansas is accused of, it's not really even an accusation, okay? Keep in mind that everything that I'm about to tell you that, that, that was found to have happened with Kansas, it didn't happen in an NCAA investigation. It didn't happen with some guy from the NCAA showing up in Lawrence and looking through phone documents. This all came out during the FBI trials over the last couple years in New York City. This all came out via federal wiretap. This all came out via the federal government. So what I'm about to tell you, yeah, you know, in the grand scheme of FBI stuff, it really doesn't matter. But from the NCA perspective, this is a big deal. And we got to go, we got to talk about what Kansas was actually not only accused of, but found guilty of in a court of law. First of all, we've talked about it a lot. But while certain coaches have never been directly tied to anything, I'm talking about Rick Pitino specifically. There are text messages from Bill Self to TJ Gasanola, who was in the head of Adidas Grassroots Basketball at that time. There were text messages that said, TJ, you got to help get me some dudes. You and I can interpret what that means, but I think we can all take a guess. Uh, there was also TJ Gasanola in court basically said that he helped uh, you know, get money to a handler for Silvio D'Souza, a five-star player. If you read the court documents, I'm not saying Bill Self directly had anything to do with it, but Bill Self talked to DJ Gasanola that day. Bill Self followed up after TJ Gasanola talked to Silvio D'Souza's handler. So I'm not putting two and two together, but I'm kind of putting two and two together. And then on top of that, keep in mind Curtis Townsend, the lead assistant, he was caught on FBI wiretap. Uh, basically asking about Zion Williamson. That shows you how long this investigation has been going on. This guy was recruiting Zion Williamson and basically said, what has to happen to get that deal done? What do we have to do to get Zion? And so that really shows you how long this investigation has been going on. 
and by the letter of the law, how serious these charges are in the eyes of the NCA. And again, I understand the NCA is going through some changes. And what was cool, you know, what's going to be cool two, three years ago isn't cool now, all that good stuff. But by the letter of the law, Kansas broke some major rules. And when the NCA gave out their notice of allegations, they gave out the letter that basically says, here is what you are accused of, Kansas. Ooh, they got hammered, baby, and they saw it a lot of the same ways that I've seen it over the last couple of years is that Kansas really did break the rules. Uh, included in that level, uh, included in that notice of allegations, five level one violations, which for a basketball program is an awful lot. Same as what Will Wade got at LSU for the record. Uh, included in it was lack of institutional control, which basically means that the NCA says that they don't believe that Kansas did enough to stop Bill Self. Remember, not to get off subject here, but we talked about the Tennessee football investigation the other day. And Tennessee football was not hit with lack of institutional control. The NCAA basically said the opposite. We believe you guys and girls did everything that you could to help us close this case, and we're not going to punish the school, or I don't suspect they'll punish the school as much as they would have had they not. Well, Kansas was hit with lack of institutional control, and they were also hit with coach responsibility, which basically means that the NCAA believes that after they concluded their investigation, that Bill Self could have and should have done more to kind of slow down the rule breaking. And so it becomes very interesting when it comes to Kansas because they have these five level one violations, but for the most part, they've done absolutely nothing to try and comply and work with the NCAA. Remember, Going back to all these FBI cases, think about how all these other schools handled their situation. Louisville fired Rick Pitino, fired their AD Tom Jurich, took a postseason ban a million years ago, but Louisville basically said, we screwed up, we want to work with you, we want to get this resolved, and it feels like Louisville is on the track to kind of just putting this behind them pretty soon. Arizona took a postseason ban, fired Sean Miller, they obviously fired their assistant coach, Book Richardson. Auburn took a postseason ban, fired an assistant coach. USC fired an assistant coach. And so you go on and on and on down the list of all of these schools who have worked together with the NCAA. And then there's Kansas, who not only did not work with the NCAA, let's take it a step further. They not only did not work with the NCAA, they have outright, as I said a minute ago, thumbed their nose at them and said, we are going to basically make this impossible for you. They have not fired any assistant coaches like all these other schools have. They have not fired uh, Bill Self for sure. As a matter of fact, they gave him a lifetime contract in case you remember. There was no postseason ban. And here's the other thing. They have very publicly gone back and forth with the NCAA. When the NCAA gave out that notice of allegations, Kansas had a very public response that basically said, we don't agree with anything you said. Here is part of what Kansas's response was when they got accused of all these things by the NCAA. Here is what they said, and this is a public document. You can find it online. The NCAA enforcement staff reply does not in any way change the University of Kansas's position that the allegations brought against our men's basketball program are simply baseless and littered with false representations. As the federal trial proved, Adidas employees intentionally concealed impermissible payments from the university and its coaching staff. The university has never denied these payments happened for the NCAA staff to allege that the university should be held responsible for these payments is a distortion of facts and a gross misapplication of NCAA bylaws and case precedent. In addition, the enforcement staff assertion that Kansas refuses to accept responsibility is wrong. The university absolutely would accept responsibility if it is believed that the violations had occurred as we have demonstrated with our own self-reported infractions. And so what Kansas basically said was, Every, everything that you accused of, we just vehemently disagree with, and everything that, and, and we just don't believe that anything that, that you believe that we did, we actually did. And so again, for two seconds... Let's compare how Kansas handled their situation with how everybody else is. Everybody else did. Arizona, Auburn, Louisville, postseason ban. USC, Auburn, Arizona, Louisville, fired assistant coaches. Kansas, lifetime contract for Bill Self, no assistant coaches fired. I'm not saying somebody should be fired. I'm just saying. And they publicly called out the NCAA. And so that was their stance on all of this until the last couple weeks. And then, to bring it full circle... This past, these past couple weeks, during the busiest time on the recruiting calendar for NCAA basketball, Kansas pulled its head coach and assistant coach off the road, and that means one thing and one thing only to me. Kansas is done fighting. 
Kansas has thrown their hands up. Kansas is waving the white flag. Kansas is saying, uncle, and they are basically saying, NCAA, we are sorry for this three, four-year public back and forth. What can we do to help the situation? Because to me, I can't take them pulling off the coaches as any other way of them now retroactively trying to say, look, see, we did something. Now, admittedly, it happened years after the initial allegations. It happened right after they won an NCAA title. So it's kind of like, yeah, we, we, we won our title. Who really cares? But it does feel like Kansas is finally starting to acknowledge we did something wrong and we're trying not to get killed by the NCAA over the next couple weeks, over the next couple months as they come to a conclusion on our investigation. Now, what will be especially interesting is to try and figure out what is going to happen next with Kansas in this process. It's going to be fascinating to watch over the next couple weeks for a few reasons. Now, I will say a couple things. One, just based on the timeline of everything, I don't believe as though it is something that is going to be resolved. I keep saying the next few weeks, but it's probably the next few months, the next few years. I don't believe it's something that's going to be resolved before this season. So unless Kansas self-imposes an NCAA, uh, you know, an NCAA withdrawing from the NCAA tournament, a postseason ban, unless Kansas self-imposes an NCAA tournament ban, I do not expect Kansas to miss the 2023 NCAA tournament. I believe they will be in position to defend their title. Don't expect that. Don't expect something to come so quick where Kansas would not even be allowed in the NCAA tournament. But what will be especially interesting is to see what happens after that, right? Because a couple of things. One, we did talk about it a few weeks ago. We did talk about, or a few days ago with the Jeremy Pruitt stuff. We did talk about the fact that the NCAA has said very publicly, they have changed some of their bylaws and they've changed the constitution and all this good stuff. And one of the things that they are very much in favor of is to not punish the school and not punish current players who had nothing to do with the current situation that the school finds themselves in or players that weren't involved when the school did what they did. Well, I think everybody can do some mental math. It's pretty clear that no one on Kansas in 2022-2023 was in the program when these rules violations happened in 2017 and 2018. And so what will be especially interesting to happen is this, is one, do they just get a postseason ban? Is this kind of the, you know, is this in basketball much like Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee in football? Is this kind of the NCAA's last stand? Do they really come down hard on Kansas, especially because Kansas refused to cooperate, especially because Bill Self is the head coach? Or do they have leniency on the current players, but do they come down hard on Bill Self? And I do think that is a possibility. This is just a guess. I haven't talked to anybody in the NCAA. I haven't talked to anybody at Kansas, but I do think the NCAA, in what might be their last chance to really throw the book at somebody, I really do think they may use this opportunity as an example to really, really, really punish Bill Self as an individual and maybe Curtis Townsend, the assistant that was caught also on wiretap, more so than actually punishing the school itself. Maybe they do allow Kansas to not miss the NCAA tournament but maybe we're looking at a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy suspension for Bill Self. Now, what's lengthy? I don't know. Previous NCAA investigations, it feels like nine games, which is a third of the season, third of the regular season in most cases. Nine games seems to be the, the threshold that has previously been used. Jim Beheim got a nine-game suspension a few years ago. Larry Brown got a nine-game suspension when he was coaching at SMU. And so it'll be interesting to see because I, you know, I, I can't sit here and say that I have a great feel, but if they want to come down on Bill Self, could it be the Sean Payton one-year suspension? Could it be a half a season? Could it be 30 games and then he comes back for the postseason? Or could it be some combination of actually punishing the program since they didn't work with the NCAA and then punishing Bill Self? That part I don't know. Because it, again, conflicts with what the NCAA has said publicly, which is that they don't want to punish players that had nothing to do with the school, with whatever problems the school got into. So this is a fascinating story, and we'll continue to cover it kind of as it happens. I I'm ready to get into college football, but you talk about a fascinating story. Bill Self pulled off the road for recruiting. It feels to me very much like Kansas realizes, whoa, buddy. We could be in trouble here uh, as we get as we get set, uh, you know, uh, for for the start of this coming season. I think Kansas realizes we tried to play tough with them. They're not backing down. They still hold the ultimate power at least for a few years. And the fact that Bill Self was pulled off the road, I think they realize something big is coming. 
I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at a lengthy, lengthy, lengthy suspension for Bill Self. It won't get resolved in the next week, month, whatever. But at some point, I think Bill, Bill Self is going to have to pay the piper for this one. I just want to do, do you want to take a quick break? I do want to come back, and I do want to talk about Justin Edwards. You remember him, five-star. We talked about him on last week's show. Five-star recruit was down to Kentucky and Tennessee. He committed earlier this week, and we'll talk about that next. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I uh, do want to, if you're a college basketball fan, it was going to be a busy couple weeks in that space as well because it was a time. this is a time of year where recruiting in basketball really heats up. All of the summer circuit stuff is done. Peach Jam finished on Sunday. And over the next couple weeks, some of the kids that are a little bit further along in their recruitments are going to start making college decisions. Now, some of them are going to wait till the spring. Some of them are going to wait till the, the, the fall to make official visits. But many of them kind of know where they want to go and are going to start making commitments. Gigi Jackson, number one high school player in the class of 2023, as an example, and we talked about it on Monday's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, decided that he was going to go to South Carolina, reclassify, and play this season in college basketball. Well, on top of Gigi Jackson committing over the weekend, there was another super marquee player who has decided where he is going to play college basketball. It is Justin Edwards. With Gigi Jackson reclassifying, Justin Edwards is now the number three player in the high school class of 2023. He is a player that was down to Tennessee and Kentucky. And on Monday, he made his college announcement for the 2023-2024 season. Justin Edwards, number three player in America, committed to, drum roll please, Justin Je- Edwards, I almost called him Justin Jackson. Justin Edwards committed to the University of Kentucky. So shout out to John Calipari and shout out to the Wildcats. I told you on Friday that this could be the start of an unbelievable recruiting run for Kentucky, and it appears as though this is exactly what happened as Justin Edwards, the number three player in the high school class of 2023, is officially a Kentucky Wildcat, will sign in November. Now, first of all, I'll get to like the big picture ramifications in a minute, but for people who are not familiar with his game, it's a really, really good player. Um, you know, the high school class of 2023 is maybe a little bit down compared to some others, but this kid would be good in any era, any whatever, any class, any whatever. Six foot seven, lefty, athletic, plays on both ends of the court. I, I just really like that element of him. He plays super hard, he's competitive as you know what, and plays on both ends of the court. Offensively, a three-level score can finish at the rim. He can get up and throw it down has kind of a nice little floater, kind of mid-range game, again, as a lefty, and really has a nice, not only a three-point shot, 
but in a, a, a move that a lot of kids now have these days, thanks to Steph Curry and James Harden and everybody, he's got kind of a nice little step-back three-pointer as well. So he is a guy that I immediately think can come in to college basketball next year and contribute and have an impact right away, and he would have been awesome at Tennessee, and he would have been awesome if he chose to go somewhere else. It just so happens that he is going to go to Kentucky, and I believe that, that he is going to have immediate impact, as you would suspect from a top-five recruit in the country. Now, why this is so big, though, is not just because he's a top-three th- prospect in this class, not just because he's a top-five, five-star, future McDonald's All-American, but there's some underlying things as well. And it's funny, right, because I'm sure some of you aren't Kentucky fans, and you're going to immediately say, Torres, you always hype up these UK commits. You always da-da-da-da, this and that. It doesn't matter. Calipari this. But this one is actually big for a few reasons. First of all, credit to Kentucky, who came from way behind to get this commitment. Um, Tennessee, for people who do not know or follow basketball recruiting, what Tennessee does, I think, about as well as anybody. They identify players very early, get in on them early, establish relationships, and that's generally what has led to this recruiting run over the last three, four, five years. Jaden Springer, five-star McDonald's All-American. They were really the first ones to identify him as a high-level prospect. They got in with him early. He ends up as a Vol. Uh, Keon Johnson, definitely that was the case. They just identified him way before anybody else. He commits. He blows up. Now he is playing in the NBA. He's kind of one of those guys, G League NBA back and forth. Same with Kennedy Chandler last year. And so, so Tennessee has really been on this incredible recruiting run. And so first of all, what's so impressive is that, ten, that Kentucky was able to make up ground really quick. And I think that's a direct credit to John Calipari. Now, according to my buddy Jack Pilgrim, um, you know, Jack for, I think everybody knows Jack, but for people who don't, just an unbelievable basketball recruiting reporter, specifically covering Kentucky basketball. What he said, and this is credit to John Calipari. John Calipari actually took the lead in this recruitment, and this is a big part of what led to this kid committing to Kentucky today. Um, I know it sounds weird, and to some of you that don't follow recruiting, it might not mean much. It's a big deal for the head coach to take over recruitment. Usually, you know how it works. The assistant coaches lay the groundwork. The assistant coaches are on the phone constantly. The assistant coaches are on with your parents, with your AAU coach. Then the head coach comes in, kind of closes the deal, all that good stuff. That is not what happened here. John Calipari knew he was behind on this kid, knew that the kid felt slighted, and made this kid a top priority to not only just not not, not only to get back into the picture, but to let him know how important you are. Yes, we've recruited other guys, but here's how important you are. I'm not letting you deal with an assistant coach. Mom and dad aren't talking to my second, third guy in command. You have any questions, you come to me. That is how important you are to us and to this program. I am completely taking over. I'm telling you right now, you guys can disagree with me if you want. I've covered college basketball forever. I know people all over this industry. The number of coaches who would be willing to sacrifice their egos and their times. There's a lot of head coaches that don't even like to recruit. Calipari likes to recruit, and he sacrificed his ego to get this kid done. This kid felt slighted. This kid felt like he wasn't a priority. Kentucky, John Calipari spent the last few months letting him know, no, you're my top priority. I am taking over your recruitment. Beyond that, I also just think it's a win for kind of the old school way of the way that Calipari recruits. Because it's been an interesting kind of back and forth, right? Early in Calipari's time at Kentucky, um, you know, there was this no, he would go into every kid's home and say, I can't promise you shots. I can't promise you a role, but you come here. You're going to prepare for the NBA. You're going to this, you're going to that. We'll get you in and out. You'll be awesome. You're going to win in college. You're going to be developed in college and you're going to be ready for the NBA. And over the last couple of years, I do think that kind of style of recruiting has worked against him. There's a lot of schools that have just flat out said, um, you know, do you want to go there and be part of this, uh, something or do you want to come here and be the focal point, get as many shots as you want, play as many minutes as you want, whatever? I can't speak to specifics, but I seem to remember that. Like like Anthony Edwards, that was kind of a thing with Anthony Edwards. Some of the kids that they've lost to Duke over the years, it seems as though that, that uh, pitch has not resonated. And credit to Calipari, because I think that's basically what he said to Justin Edwards. Is, you know, and again, I've heard Jack say it. I've heard some other Kentucky reporters say it. But essentially what he said was, you can go to Tennessee. You're going to be awesome. You're a great player. But if you come here, there is nowhere that is going to better prepare you for the pros than this place. 
There is nowhere that is going to better prepare you because you are going to be practicing against professionals every day. You are going to be in a professional environment. You are going to be playing in the biggest, most high-profile games. We all know what Kentucky's schedule looks like this year. They got, uh, I think, Kansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, Michigan State, Michigan in London, SEC play, Louisville. So you're going to play in the biggest games on the biggest stages. You're going to practice against pros every day. Why do you need to go somewhere else to take 25, 30 shots a game? Tyler Hero didn't need that. He's making a lot of money in the NBA. Tyrese Maxey didn't need that. He's making a lot of money in the NBA. And I think that resonated with this kid, Justin Edwards. And I give Cal credit for getting the deal done and for not compromising who he is and, in fact, kind of accentuating what, what he sells. You don't need to go somewhere and take 35 shots a game to be a, a first-round pick. We get it done here. This is how we've done it for a decade, and we've had success doing it. Finally, what I, I would say, and I, I said this last week, I think this could be the start of just a surreal recruiting run over the next couple weeks for Kentucky. Talked about it a lot, but Kentucky already has two top 25 players committed. Rob Dillingham, the number one point guard in America, top 10 or so player, depending on what recruiting ranking you look at. And then Reed Shepard, the son of former Kentucky star Jeff Shepard. He is also committed for the class of 2023. Well, now Justin Edwards comes in, and you now officially have... Two top 10 players committed for the class of 2023. Now, I'm not saying it's going to pass Duke in the recruiting rankings. I should say, by the way, my UConn Huskies are at number two right now. I love UConn, love Dan Hurley. Don't think UConn is going to stay there uh, after this commitment as Kentucky now has two top 10 players, two, three top 25 players, and I think this could just be the beginning. And we've talked about it a lot over the last couple weeks, but I do think it is worth reiterating. DJ Wagner. Now he is essentially the unquestioned number one high school player in the class of 2023 now that Gigi Jackson reclassified. DJ Wagner, as I said last week, it's hard to envision a scenario where he doesn't end up in Kentucky, right? He just signed an NIL deal with Nocta, which is a brand under Nike that is run by Drake. He's going to be a spokesperson representative, be in some of their advertising campaigns. Hard for me to imagine him committing to an Adidas school after signing with Nocta. So if we're talking about already we have a class that's probably going to finish number two or number three in a worst-case scenario. Now you have Justin Edwards in the mix, and I think DJ Wagner is not far behind. Udana Kingsley we talked about on last show. He's officially about to reclassify. He announced he will reclassify. He won't be part of this class, but he could reclassify and roll Kentucky and be a difference maker right away. And then Aaron Bradshaw, as I said, the five-star center in the class of 2023, former high school teammate of, of DJ Wagner. Don't know if he'll be staying at that high school or going somewhere else. It's basically down to Kentucky and the G League Ignite program for that kid. And so at worst right now with Kentucky, you're talking about three top 25 kids, two top 10 kids. I think for sure you're going to add the third top 10 kid in DJ Wagner. You're going to add a top 25 kid who is reclassifying in Udonna Kingsley, and you might not be done yet. Aaron Bradshaw, it seems as though it's a Kentucky versus G League Ignite race. Ron Howland, a big wing from Dallas or from Texas. I don't know if it's Dallas exactly. I think it is Dallas, Duncanville, whatever. Down to Arkansas and Kentucky. It feels like it's a two-team race for them. I would give the slight edge to Arkansas right now, but man, oh man. You're talking about a class that, at worst, has three top 10 kids, four top 25 kids, potentially a fifth one with Aaron Bradshaw, a reclassified kid, and who no- who else knows what happens along the way. And also, let's never forget, the transfer portal is real, it is spectacular, and Kentucky will get some kids there as well. So listen, it's way too early to start talking about what the 2023-2024 roster can look like at Kentucky, but I told you last week, and I stand by it, It looks to me like Kentucky is about to go on an incredible recruiting run. And it started with Justin Edwards committing to the Wildcats on Monday, a top five player nationally, the number three player in the country. All right, that's what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And for the first time in a while, We'll do a little bit of a mailbag segment, a lot to get to, including some on that those Gene Smith comments about a 16-team playoff. Uh, the age-old question, is Torres nicer to people that show up on his podcast, and does he criticize people who don't? 
Uh, and then also uh, we will get to a couple other things in the mailbag. First mailbag in a while coming up. I will be right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap uh, about, you know, really for most of the spring, we were doing a mailbag segment every week here on the Air Tour Sports Podcast. And I thought the segments went really well. I got some really interesting questions and it led for some really interesting conversations and just a great way to kind of keep everybody engaged at a time on the calendar when it's a little bit slower. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've had a mailbag. Um, and part of it is just like, look, you know, I was traveling one week. We had SEC media days last week. So I thought it'd be fun to bring back the mailbag. And remember always, if you want to submit your questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, submit your questions. But I do think it's just a fun way to kind of wrap a show on a day like today, rather than doing 15 minutes off the top on, uh, you know, Kevin Warren's comments or Gene Smith's comments. We'll do a mailbag to wrap things up. Now, it is going to be a little bit different today because I do want to open with those Gene Smith comments about a 16-team college football playoff, and this isn't actually a question that was actually submitted to me, but it was interesting. It feels as though I need to address it, so rather than doing 15 minutes on it off the top, I'll do five minutes about it right here. But where the conversation comes from, uh, Big Ten Media Days, uh, Kevin Warren, the commissioner, is there. Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director, is there. And I hate to say it, but Gene Smith is probably the most powerful guy in that conference. He carries weight. People listen to him. And a few days ago, um, a few days ago, or, 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 or excuse me, on, on I guess it was Tuesday afternoon, Pete Thamel asked Gene Smith about whatever. And one of the things that came up was a 16-team playoff. Here is a tweet that Pete Thamel from ESPN sent out on Tuesday afternoon, for those keeping score at home, it was 11.52 a.m., so it must have been Tuesday morning by technicality. What Pete Thamel tweeted, one new wrinkle that came up when Big Ten ADs met this week about the playoff is increased conversation about a 16-team playoff. Ohio State AD Gene Smith said to ESPN, 16 just seems to be out there. You can't ignore it. Hmm. You can't ignore it. Well, first of all, this isn't a, you know, a weird mole that you have on the side of your head that you can't ignore. Like, you can't ignore a 16-team playoff. But the fact that Gene Smith is acknowledging it leads me to believe that when you combine this piece of information with something that I talked about last week, we're headed very, close, very soon to an expanded college football playoff, maybe even more expansion than we want. But if you remember, and if you listen to this show, last week, Greg Sankey at SEC Media Days, the commissioner of the SEC, was asked about the future of SEC scheduling. Right now, the SEC plays eight regular season games against each other, eight league games. He kind of hinted, hey, once Texas and Oklahoma come, we may get to nine. And then he kind of gave a weird wink, wink, nod, nod, where he said something to the effect of, oh, by the way, we're also looking at a model where we play 10 league games. <laughs> just kidding. Wish, just, just making sure you guys were paying attention. And as I said on last week's show, you, when there are billions of dollars at stake in the regular season, billions of dollars with a B in the postseason, you don't make jokes. And when Greg Sankey said that out loud, to me, it hinted that we're probably getting a pretty expanded playoff because you can't have 10 SEC regular season games 
unless you expect to have a large postseason. And so when you combine the the Greg Sankey comments with the Gene Smith comments, I think we're starting. Uh, those two guys don't say what they have said. If they're just wink, wink, nod, nod, hinting at it. They're not telling you it could happen. They're trying to tell you right now that it will happen and to brace yourself because like it or not, an expanded playoff is coming. And so I believe this is something coming down the road because, again, you have to remember that in the future, the Big Ten and the the SEC are going to carry so much weight in terms of the power structure of how college football looks, and those two are going to have the biggest seat at the table in terms of what the playoff looks like because they are going to have the most power, they're making the most money, they have the ears of the TV executives. And so they're going to determine what the future of the college football playoff looks like, and I'm telling you, whether it's 12, whether it's 16, it's getting expanded and it's getting expanded soon. Now, do I like it? I don't like it. And as a matter of fact, I think you can argue with the recent moves, there's less reason to expand the playoff than ever before. I mean, just think about it at its most basic level. Right now, essentially outside of Notre Dame and Clemson and maybe Oregon and Miami, and we'll see what happens with Mario Cristobal and all that, basically everybody that matters in college football in the next five years is either going to be in the SEC or the Big Ten. USC is going to the Big Ten along with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. All those schools, Michigan State, don't want to forget anybody, leave anybody out. And in the SEC, we're now adding Texas and Oklahoma to Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Florida, um, Tennessee, Texas A&M, on and on and on and on and on. And so I actually think there's an argument. And by the way, we could get another round of expansion where Clemson ends up in the SEC, where Notre Dame ends up in the Big Ten. And so I actually think there's an argument now that there's less of a reason to expand the college football playoff than there was before. If ever, if all these good teams are consolidated to two conferences, why do we need a larger postseason? We're going to play a thing called an SEC championship game to determine who the best team is in the SEC. So why do we need a 16-team college football playoff and put the fifth best team in the SEC just to get their brains beat in by the best team in the SEC, which we already determined in the regular season? Same in the Big Ten. Do we need to put Michigan State or Wisconsin or Iowa into a 16-team playoff just to get destroyed by Ohio State like they did in the regular season? And so I think on the one hand, you can argue that there is less of a reason to expand the playoff now than ever before. Let me also say this, too. It just, at its most basic level, doesn't make any sense. And I want to give credit to somebody, Dan Beyer, Fox Sports Radio. I was filling in with Dan on Tuesday when the quotes came out about the Big Ten, uh, about this potential 16-team playoff. And I thought he brought up a great point. He said, every sport in America, outside of college football and the NFL, is doing whatever they can to make their regular season more interesting. Too many games, too many meaningless games, none of it matters. And so the NBA, college basketball, which I love, Major League Baseball, They're having trouble engaging an audience all regular season long because the regular season is too long. Why do you think the NBA is putting in that play-in tournament? Why do you think Major League Baseball is changing rules every second on the second? Why do you think college basketball is playing early season games on, on aircraft carriers and Champions Classic and Duke versus Kentucky and Gavit games? It's to try to get you engaged because their regular seasons are too long. So think about this at the most basic level and why it doesn't really make sense to expand the playoff, although nothing's going to happen, nobody's going to listen to me. But at the same time, every other sport on the planet is trying to get you interested in its regular season. College football already has you. They've got you by the collar. They they got you jacked up against the wall. You got nowhere to go. And they're saying, you know what we want to do? We want to expand the playoff and make the regular season Less interesting for you guys and girls. At the most basic level, it makes absolutely no sense, and I don't like it. Now, one thing you guys and girls know about me, one thing about this show, I try not to get too emotional, get too upset about things that I can't control, and if this is where we're going, then this is where we're going. Kevin Warren and Greg Sankey don't care about what Aaron Torres thinks. I'm going to fight it, I'm going to talk about it, but eventually I'm going to move on. But what I will say is something I've talked about quite a bit on this show. It's such a shame that the people that are making decisions 
for college sports and college football specifically, do not care about the sport itself. Do not care about the players. Do not care about the coaches. Do not care about you, the consumer. That is the most disappointing thing to me at all. Because I do think there's a way that you can run a business to make money while also caring about the consumer. For all the criticism Roger Goodell gets, I think he does a great job with this. Roger Goodell, he adds stuff because his consumer is telling him that they want it. The reason they play all those games in London is because they sell out all of them in London. It's another TV window. Now everybody on the East Coast gets up at 9 a.m. and has football to watch. That's why they play those games in London. The reason we have Thursday night games is because people want an NFL on Thursday. We had Tuesday and Wednesday games the last couple years because of COVID and people watch those. We have Saturday night games when college football ends. But the reason Roger Goodell does all that is not only because it makes a lot of money, it's because it's what the consumer wants. What's disappointing about college football is that college football isn't making any of these decisions because it's what you guys and girls want. They're doing it strictly because of money and strictly not for the good of the product. And that is what I worry about. And to go back to what I said, um, you know, I, I think there's more of an argument now to not expand the playoff because of the consolidation of power in those top two conferences. And I also just think that when you look at it at its most basic level, I don't know that we need to, I think there's less of an argument to expand the playoff now because of the fact that, again, everybody's going to be in the SEC or the Big Ten. So I don't mean to belabor the point. We can move on. But I will say it's just a little bit disappointing. um, And I really do look at it and say, like, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me, but I know why it's being done. It's over money rather than the consumer, and it really sucks. Let's get to something a little bit more fun. Uh, ben, in the uh, podcast ratings and reviews. So again, I told you, leave comments on the iTunes page, the Apple page. Leave a rating and review. Give, give me five stars. Give the show five stars and leave a question and I'll read it. So I'll start with Ben, who says in the podcast reviews, he says, if college basketball were the stock market, what teams would you buy or sell? Great question. Great question. I want to get into it. Before I do, I want to set a few parameters, okay? I don't want to make this too obvious, okay? So what I'm, what the two parameters are, if you're like a traditional blue blood school, you are out of the equation. I'm not buying stock in Duke or Carolina or Kentucky because that's like buying stock in Amazon or Google right now. It's, it's been at the top of the stock market forever. You're not going to get good value. And I've also decided that any team that has made the Sweet 16 or beyond, so the Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, National Championship, obviously, over the last couple years, I am not going to take them as well. Anyone can say, oh, buy stock in Arkansas. It's a smart move. Yeah, that was a smart move two years ago. We all know how awesome Arkansas is. We're going to get to it in a minute because I'm being criticized for being too nice to Arkansas. Uh, Alabama with Nate Oates. I think everybody thinks Alabama is going to be good. Juwan Howard in Michigan. Mick Cronin in UCLA. So we're going to stay away from those programs, and I'll give you some other ones that I believe you should be buying stock in. Let's get to the buy or sell stock game in college basketball. First, first one that I would buy stock in. This might be a little bit off the radar. The Illinois Fighting Illini. Because the Illinois Fighting Illini are really starting to put together some sustained success. Two years ago, during the post-COVID year of 2020-2021, they won the Big Ten tournament title got a number one seed, they lose Io DeSumo, you think they're going to fall off. Instead, this past season, they win their first Big Ten regular season title in forever. They get to the tournament, they lose to Houston in the second round. But what I like about this program is that it appears as though the foundation has been set and now it's sustainable. I'll be honest, a year ago when their top two assistant coaches, Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman, went to Kentucky, I kind of thought, it's over for these guys. They, they had their run. They had their moment. It's over. But what I respect about Brad Underwood is, one, he obviously restructured his staff. But, two, what he also did is kind of reworked how he's running his program. So he built through the high school ranks two, three, four-year guys. This year he was very aggressive in the portal. TJ Shannon from Texas Tech, Matthew Meyer from Baylor, and then on top of that he got some really good high school players, including Sky Clark, who was at one point committed to Kentucky. And so why I like Illinois, I think now in this world that we live in, this transfer portal world, I think they're a very desirable place, state school, big state, Illinois. My understanding is they are maybe willing to compete in NIL the way that some other Big Ten programs are not. 
um, you know, not a, they have the resources if needed to get into that space. And then I also just think they're a good transfer option and bounce back option. What is a bounce back option? It is when a player is from your area, leaves to go somewhere else, and then bounces back to come to you. So let me give you an example. USC. USC basketball, I believe, is a great bounce back spot, right? You have these elite five-star kids. They go to here. They go there. It doesn't work out. They come back. They bounce back to USC, and they have a ton of success. Well, I believe Illinois can be that. As I just mentioned, TJ Shannon from Chicago leaves plays two years at Texas Tech, maybe three years actually, and ends up at Illinois. So I just like everything about it. At the end of the day, people are saying, Brad Underwood doesn't win big in the tournament. Give him a year. Give him another one. Whatever. He's got Illinois back-to-back Big Ten titles, postseason, regular season. They're going to break through and make a deep run in the tournament. Number two on this list in terms of schools that I would buy stock in, the next one is Xavier. And listen, I know everybody says, oh, Torres, you're just trying to be nice to Sean Miller. You want to hear a crazy stat about Sean Miller? This stat is truly insane. If if I told you, name me the coaches with the best win percentage in Pac-10, Pac-12 history, and I know the Pac-12 is changing without USC and UCLA, what would you say? Well, here are the top three. John Wooden is at number one. You may have heard of John Wooden. Not sure if he did. What was it, 10 titles in 12 years, something like that? Number two, Lute Olsen, Hall of Famer, wins a title at Arizona, multiple Final Fours. Number three, the third highest win percentage in the history of the Pac-12 is Sean Miller. And so I know everybody wants to crush the guy, and he never made a Final Four at Arizona, and he's overrated, and he sucks, and whatever. As I've said many times, the guy in his career has made seven Sweet 16s and four Elite Eights. One of the Elite Eights I was at, they lost by one point in overtime to Wisconsin. They get one more defensive stop, make one more basket, they're going to the Final Four. So don't tell me this guy can't coach. And now I think he's actually in a pretty good spot in Xavier. First of all, Xavier was a really good team last year. They basically bring back everybody. They won the NIT. And I think he's kind of learned from his mistakes. Now, I haven't talked to him since he got that Xavier job. But towards the end of the Arizona time, he got away from recruiting one and done, can't miss, come in, have an attitude, have ego, whatever. And he got into the two, three, four-year developmental players and the international players. You can criticize Sean Miller. But look at the roster he left for Tommy Lloyd in year one. And this is not a criticism of Tommy Lloyd. It's not saying that Tommy Lloyd wasn't awesome. But Sean Miller left three players who ended up being top 35 picks in this year's draft, including two top 25 picks, Ben Matherin, who went to uh, to the Indiana Pacers, Dalen Terry, who went to the Chicago Bulls, Christian Coloco, early early first round in the early 30s. All of those guys were left by Sean Miller. So Sean Miller leaves the cupboard full. I think he learns his lessons from Arizona. And I think he has it rolling at Xavier. Number three, I'll just say really quick. Let's stay in the Miller family, okay? Archie Miller at Rhode Island. Remember Archie Miller? Indiana? He is now the head coach at Rhode Island. I think it's easy to forget that in a couple things. One, if you're a longtime listener to this show, I actually had the previous Rhode Island head coach on this show. His name was David Cox. And I I told David Cox something that not a lot of people know. I actually went to URI for a year, and I have long believed that it is a sleeping giant in college basketball. It's a state school. The state loves it. Now, obviously, the state is divided. Providence, there's a lot of Providence fans in the state of Rhode Island. But URI is a state school. It's got this huge alumni base that really goes up and down the East Coast. I mean, there's a ton of kids from Jersey and New York and Long Island going through Connecticut up into Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire that go to Rhode Island, and I think if if anybody ever gets that place rolling, it is going to rock out. I think it's going to be a great program, and I think it has some inherent advantages, again, being a state school in the transfer portal era. I think Archie Miller is going to do a really, really, really good job there, and I think it's also worth noting a couple things with Archie Miller and Rhode Island specifically. Archie Miller, first of all, was really good, really good at Dayton. Remember, he was at Dayton six years. He made four NCAA tournaments in those six years, including an Elite Eight run in 2014. Ironically, if you remember, that was the same year that Arizona, under Sean Miller, lost to Wisconsin by one point. I remember because I was at the Arizona-Wisconsin game watching Dayton lose in the Elite Eight to Florida. So, I mean, you think about Archie Miller at Dayton. 
Four straight NCAA tournaments, including an Elite Eight. By the way, I think I said Sean Miller made seven Sweet 16s and four Elite 8s. Not all of them were at Arizona. Some of them were at Xavier, so I should clarify that. But Archie Miller rocked in the A-10, and it just didn't work in the Big Ten. And the other thing I would say about Archie Miller, too, is that in the 2020 COVID year that was canceled, the NCAA tournament was canceled, Indiana was going to make the NCAA tournament. And if Indiana makes the NCAA tournament, I think maybe the whole outlook on that program is different. Instead, he gets fired in 2021. But I believe that Archie Miller will have some success. You know, two others that I would include, but I don't think I can really include them because they're sort of blue blood-ish. I do like Indiana under my boy Mike F. and Woodson, right? I do like Indiana. I did say that... um, I did say there's no blue bloods on this list, but the thing with Indiana, so they don't really count because they can't be on this list, but... Uh, the thing I'll say about Indiana, I, I, I was questioning Mike Woodson's ability to recruit when he got hired. That, If you remember when I was critical of Mike Woodson, it was like, I just don't know if he's going to want to recruit. Well, he's got signed three five-stars in two classes, Tamar Bates last year, Malik Renault, and Jalen Huchifino this year. So the guy can recruit. I think they're going to roll. I think they're the best team in the Big Ten this year. The other one, sort of blue bloodish, but they're not really, is my alma mater, UConn. Listen, Dan Hurley's a stud. I know people, oh my goodness, why did they lose to New Mexico State in the first round? Dan Hurley's awesome. So those are my big three. I would probably say if I'm buying stock, Illinois, Xavier, and Rhode Island. Uh, Also, Indiana, UConn, but they're a little too obvious. If I'm selling stock, by the way, couple. One is Oregon. I would sell Oregon stock for this reason. When Oregon was really rolling about five, six years ago, they were doing it with the traditional model. Two three-year college players recruited, developed under Dana Altman. When they made the Final Four in 2017, Dylan Brooks still in the NBA. Jordan Bell won a title with the Warriors. Uh, Tyler Dorsey, who just signed a new contract with the NBA. Peyton Pritchard, who's playing in the NBA right now. Last couple years, it's been transfer you. Guys are coming. Guys are going. There seems to be no symmetry. It just feels like that thing has happened. It's over. It feels like everybody kind of needs to go in a new direction. I'd add two. Syracuse is another one. I'm selling any Syracuse stock I have left. Jim Beheim is checked out. Um, you know, my buddy Zach Kroll, who writes for Aaron Torres online, had a great stat on Syracuse. He said that according to uh, his research, Syracuse, how about this? They have not been ranked in the top 25 after January since 2014. Since 2014. They have not been ranked past, like, early January. That is an insane stat. It shows you how far Syracuse has fallen. Um, You know, those are the two that I would probably sell. I'm trying to think whatever. That's probably them. Really quickly, a couple other questions. This one, Robert Ash came in hot in the the, uh, emails. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. This is what Robert Ash says. So on your podcast this week, now this is dating back to a few years, a few months ago. Uh, I did talk about uh, my updated top 25, blah, 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 blah. I was not as big of a fan on Gonzaga as some others. And so Robert Ash says, on your podcast this week, you basically said that Gonzaga only plays six or seven players and that they may have issues with so much talent and not enough minutes, yet you don't ever address that with Arkansas, who under your boy only plays six or seven themselves, yet has all that talent. Do you not question that because of your man crush on Musselman or did I figure out that you only talk 100% positive about teams and coaches that go on your podcast? It's quite obvious that you're biased towards teams and coaches that grace you on your podcast. Robert, coming in hot, baby. I like it, though. Listen, yeah, I'm not here to make friends, win friends, and influence people. That's not what this is all about. So first of all, let me, let me bounce back on that. Uh, you never say mean things about people that come on your podcast. Well... How about last year with Alabama and Nate Oates? I called out Alabama all season long. After the probably about January 15th when they were going all sorts of directions, I said, I don't like the makeup of this team. I don't like the makeup of this program. It's trending in the wrong direction. Now, I was never critical of Nate Oates because Nate Oates is a good coach. But if you don't think I was critical of Alabama, I can show you some texts and DMs that I got from people on staff saying, Torres, what do you say? Like, like I had people. Now, not Nate Nadeau. He's got more important things to do than worry about what I have to say. I had people at Alabama staff saying, I, I think what you're saying is a little out of line. No, it's not out of line. I was being 100% fair. How about the guy I just said? Archie Miller. Archie Miller came on this podcast going into his last year at Indiana, and when he was losing, I said Indiana need to fire him. 
On the flip side, I, I'm only nice to people that come on my podcast. I think I've probably said more nice things on this podcast about John Calipari than anybody. Last time I checked, episode 562, John Calipari has never made one single appearance on this show. And so I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm overly nice. The reason I say nice things about Musselman is because he's a monster. Last five NCAA tournaments that have been played, last four NCAA tournaments that have been played, three Sweet 16s, including one at Nevada. Nevada has completely fallen off the map since he left. And then two Elite Eights at Arkansas. They hadn't made the Sweet 16 at Arkansas since 1995. He comes in, and in year two, they go to the Sweet 16, and, or in the Elite Eight. And in year three, they go to the Elite Eight. What am I supposed to say? Why didn't you go to a Final Four? Guy's awesome. So listen, I don't think that I'm overly nice to people that come on the podcast. It's just when you're awesome, I'm going to say nice things about you. Now, in terms of the question, I'll be honest, I don't really totally remember everything I said about Gonzaga. I think what I said was other people in the media were talking about how deep they are and how this they are and how that they are. And I said, Mark Few only plays seven guys, maybe only six. And I do wonder how it shakes out because there are about eight or nine guys on that roster that expect to play. Now, in the old days, when Tommy Lloyd was there, when they recruited more international guys, they did more red shirting. You know, they had guys on the end of the bench that knew they weren't going to play. Remember, Joel, ay my buddy, played in the NBA this year. He redshirted. Rui Hachimura, lottery pick, barely played as a freshman. And they're not recruiting those kind of guys anymore. They're recruiting McDonald's All-Americans. They're recruiting high-profile transfers. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. They have eight, nine guys that think they're going to play this year, and not all of them are. Now, I'll say in terms of Gonzaga, I do still think it comes down to the cards. When I see other people, and it's not disrespect to other people in the media, but when I see people having Gonzaga ranked number one, I say you're expecting their point, their guards to make a big leap. Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman were good last year, but I don't know if they're number one in the country type good type guards, but we're going to find out. They play Michigan State early in the year. They play at Texas early in the year. They play some other marquee games that I can't think of off the top of my head at this exact moment. Maybe, uh, I can't remember everybody that they play, but I know they play at Texas. I know that they play Michigan State uh, on that uh, on that uh, battleship. So we'll find out. And then in terms of Arkansas, what I would say is, I think that's another interesting, and I will say it's a fair point by, by Robert. Eric Musselman's only going to play seven guys. The question becomes, what's seven on a deep and talented team? But I think that's a question that everybody has, including the Arkansas staff, who are going to be the guys that separate themselves. But I also know that I go on radio every week in Arkansas, and they ask me all the time, like, Torres, what do you think about this roster? You think all these guys are going to be able to stay happy? And what I would say is, this has been a deep, talented team in years past. Coach Muss has figured it out. He figured it out at Nevada, and we'll see what happens from there. So I don't think, maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll own it. But I don't think I'm overly nice to people that come on the podcast. I've probably said more nice things about John Calipari than anybody. Criticized Nate Oates. Criticized Archie Miller. Eric Musselman is just winning a lot of games. By the way, didn't criticize Bruce Pearl much this year because he was awesome. What do you want me to do? Last question, good question from John in Minnesota of all places. How about that? How about the reach of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast? He goes, AT, quick question, very simple. Who is the single most interesting team in college football this year and why? So I'm going to stay in your neck of the woods, John, and I'm going to say, I'm not going to say Minnesota, obviously, but how about the Nebraska Cornhuskers? I am like, you know, listen, I'm a child of the late 90s when Nebraska was awesome, and I've talked about it a million times on this podcast. I just wanted to be good so bad. And you look at Nebraska last year, guys and girls, do you guys remember the Nebraska situation? How about this? They went 3-9. and nine. All nine losses were by 10 points or less. Do you remember this Nebraska story? It was like the saddest season I've ever seen. Here was Nebraska's schedule last year and their win-loss record. They go 3-9. and nine. Here were some of their losses. They lost by 7 to Oklahoma. At Oklahoma. They lost by three in overtime to Michigan State. By the way, Oklahoma finished with 11, 10 wins last season. They lose by three in overtime to Michigan State. Michigan State finishes with 11 wins last season. They lose by three to Michigan, who made the college football playoff. They lose by nine to Ohio State. But remember, that game, they were driving to take the lead with like four minutes to go. Turnover on downs, I believe it was, or missed field goal or something. They end up losing that one. They lose by seven at Wisconsin. They lose by seven at Iowa. And so you're just, just those teams that I talked about. 
That is one, two, three, four, five teams that finished with 10 wins or more that Nebraska easily could have beaten. And so I just think they're so fascinating. We all know this is Scott Frost. It's do or die, right? For people who don't know, his buyout drops significantly in October. And so if they're not winning, it's over for him. I mean, he's got probably five weeks. And oh, by the way, in the first couple weeks, they open week zero against Northwestern. In Dublin, they play Oklahoma at home early in the year. We're going to know by October 1, is Scott Frost probably going to survive this year or not? But they, they overhauled their coaching staff. They've been one of the teams in the portal that has had a ton of success. And we're going to find out really quick if Scott Frost and Nebraska are the real deal. I think they're by far the most interesting team in college football. Whew. What a segment. What a show. With that said, uh, I do want to get out of here. I think it's time for me to go. Long episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Didn't think I was going to get to an hour on today's show, but whatever. I deliver. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. By the way, any questions for a future mailbag? Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com. Also, you can go to the uh, reviews on Apple. Leave a review with a question. I will get to it like I did with Benjamin on the college basketball stock report. That said, I do want to get out of here. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. Oh, by the way, we got all those team-specific accounts, Torres on UK, which is Kentucky, Torres on the Hogs, which is Arkansas, Torres on the Vols, Torres on Texas A&M, Torres on Auburn, on and on and on and on and on. I think that's it, though. Make sure you're doing all that. Make sure you're subscribed. Some big announcements coming, but I cannot thank you all enough for the support to get us here. Really excited for the fall. We'll get back to football on Friday. Ray for Alston on Friday, too, which is a real doozy of an interview. With that said, I do want to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for listening, and I will be back on Friday to talk all sorts of things and also welcome in my main buddy, Ray for Alston, with that said, I appreciate your time. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. I hope he's doing okay after Jerry West dunked on him. Unblock me, UF head. I'll be back on Friday. New episode of the Aaron Torres Pod, baby. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.